Hello everyone and welcome to a brand new video. If you're joining us after my short break, there is a link in the description of a little piece explaining why I took a break. Um, for anyone else here, let's just jump right into the new cold cases from every state video. Tonight, we'll be covering Iowa. So, let's begin. Kenny Johnson was only 14 years old when he was called to the principal's office while enrolled at Central Alternative School's Franklin Center. Known among many as a Dennis the Menace type of kid, Kenny was not responding well to teachers and struggled to follow directions. This most likely stemmed from his learning disability, though I can't find exactly what his disability was. While he was told to go to the principal on the 8th of October 1987, Kenny opted to slip out of school and walk about town. However, the police have noted that they have no idea what took place between Kenny being with his teacher and him being found deceased two days later. He'd been discovered by a man who was out fishing. Kenny's body was covered in an orange and yellow carpeting in Moss Park in the south side of Dubuque. The autopsy showed that he'd been sexually assaulted and strangled to death by hand. Something rather notable is that his BAL showed Kenny had drank at least one or two beers before having his life taken. Kenny wasn't a large kid, only five foot four and 122 pounds, meaning these drinks could have had an incredible effect on him. From the beginning, not much was found, and a year following Kenny being discovered, nothing more seemed to have come up. An article published just over a year after Kenny was discovered said, quote, Despite an intense investigation, law enforcement officials say they're no closer now than they were a year ago to finding the killer or killers. In the same article, there's a quote from the Iowa Division of Criminal Investigation agent Mike Dasso, explaining why they decided to stake out the park a year following the event. He said, quote, if it was a real important thing to the person who did this, or if for some reason they thought it was gratifying, they might come back to relive the event. Kinney's case is still wide open, though, and the locals, as well as police, are doing all they can to make sure Kinney isn't forgotten. In 2016, an article was published online as well in local papers, the Des Moines Register, highlighting Kinney's case and giving a few more details about it, including what the police believe the person who took Kenny's life may have been like. In the article, they say, quote, They speculated the killer was a loner who had poor interpersonal relationship skills and had trouble making friends. Police theorized that even with antisocial tendencies, the killer had difficulty coping with the murder and probably told someone. With that said, Anyone with information they believe can help is asked to report it to the correct authorities. In this case, you're asked to contact Corporal Chris Goral at 563-587-3806. You can also submit information through email at cgoral at cityofdubuque.org. On December 24, 1983, Ron Novak was found by his brother in a storeroom behind Ronald's house in Center Point, Iowa. 
Ron's hands were tied behind his back, and he'd been beaten with two hammers and a golf club, all that were found nearby. Along with this, he was shot once in the right arm by a twenty-two caliber bullet. According to reports, there was blood all over the room, indicating some kind of struggle. Ron's phone was also discovered by the weapons on the floor. It's believed he had attempted to call for help. The only thing that seemed to be missing was Ron's wallet, which most likely had at least a few hundred dollars in it. Ron was sent to keep large amounts of money in his wallet as walking around money. There was a window adjacent to the kitchen door that seemed to have been used as a makeshift entryway. There was reported to have been a shotgun near the kitchen door. Ron kept it there for protection, but that door wasn't opened that night. The investigation quickly came to a halt when police were unable to find fingerprints or DNA at the scene. The footprints that were outside were covered by snow before they could be properly photographed. In the beginning, it looked like a robbery that went terribly wrong. But when police discovered a suitcase holding $32,000 cash, as well as a duffel bag with over $7,000 worth of marijuana, that theory was thrown out the window. Ron's brother reportedly knew that he was involved in drugs, though he never knew to what extent, and police firmly believe the drugs played a large part in this case. That brings up the idea of Ron owing someone a large amount of money, but again, 32000 was simply left at Ron's house. A strange bit of information includes Ron telling a close friend that he was concerned about a car being parked outside of his house overnight. Ron's house was described as being out in the country, so it wasn't clear who would be staking at his house, or why. If they knew him, they would most likely know that he was armed. The attack was very clearly precise and planned out. As far as suspects, it's been reported that DNA was found at the scene that wasn't a match to Ron. However, when sent to the state's crime lab, there were no matches found. Many publications note that the police didn't report the gunshot in their initial reports, and the family of Ron read this as neglect. An article published a few months after Ron's death said, quote, Family members were upset because the sheriff's office did not tell them of the gunshot. They'd done nothing but lie to us and run us around since the first night, Donald Novak said. The article goes on to state that the family only found out about the gunshot when they received the death certificate. Quote, the certificate listed three things as the cause of death, the beating, hypothermia, and a gunshot wound. Of course, though, this information was held for good reason. Again, from the article, quote, Sawyer, the sheriff, and they decided to keep the information within the departments because, quote, we figured the only person who would know about the gunshot wound would be the killer. That would be something they would know. Much like Kenny's case, Ron's is still very active. In 2016, a small piece about his case was published in the Des Moines Register, covering various details of the case in hopes of it sparking a memory in someone, or it could convince someone to come forward. If you do have any information that you believe can help in Ron's case, you're asked to contact the Lynn County Sheriff's Office at 319-892-6100. 
or the Iowa Division of Criminal Investigation at 515-725-6010. You can also send an email to the email listed here. Ashley's name came up a lot when I asked you all about some cases from Iowa, and I feel it's because it's one of the most recent ones we've talked about. It was just eight years ago, April 8th, 2011, that Realty Agent Ashley Oakland had her life taken just before 2 p.m. that Friday. That day, she was working in a model townhouse in West Des Moines. She was discovered at 558 Stone Creek Court by a Rutland Homes employee after they heard a loud commotion coming from the townhome. When they went over, they saw her on the floor and called the police. Ashley was taken to the hospital, but sadly passed away due to her injuries. At this time, there are no suspects. However, at the time, police noted that they do not believe this was a random act. They believe that Ashley was targeted. They're just not sure why or by who. Ashley was loved by many in her community, and her death only brought them together. A report of over 1,600 people showed up to her funeral just to say goodbye and support her friends and family. As of now, the police are still actively looking into Ashley's passing and are asking anyone with information to come forward. A $150,000 reward is offered to anyone who comes forward with information that leads to an arrest. If you believe you have information that can help in this case, don't hesitate to report it. You can do so by contacting the West Des Moines Police Department at 512-222-3344 or the Polk County Crime Stoppers at 515-223-1400. Beth is a U.S. military veteran who unfortunately went missing on December 22, 1997. She was 31 years old at the time of her disappearance and had left her apartment to do some last-minute Christmas shopping. She drove to the store in a gold 1994 Geo Prism, was 5 foot 8 inches tall, wearing black pants, a white shirt, a zebra print belt, and a black leather blazer. She also had a black medium-sized purse with her. A few hours later, Beth's duplex caught fire, causing an estimated $7,500 in damages to a bedroom. Firefighters were never able to identify what caused it, but it hasn't been determined if it was in any way connected to her vanishing. Two days following Beth going missing, her boyfriend received a call from a woman who claimed to be Beth. In the call, he said the woman said she did not want to be found, leading some to believe Beth left on her own accord. But this seems unlikely. An article from 1998 states, quote, Christian of Prairie City said he and his wife saw Ricketts shortly before she left for a Christmas shopping trip December 22nd. They go on to explain that Beth had bought a dress for a New Year's Eve party and presents for her children, with this in mind, they concluded she wouldn't have just left for no reason. Of course, the question of who the woman was on the phone comes back up. If it wasn't Beth, it had to have been a sick prank or possibly someone who was involved with the abduction and possible murder of Beth. 
Beth's boyfriend, after he reported the phone call, was said to no longer be reachable for comment as he'd hired an attorney. If you have any information that you believe can help find Beth or find out what happened to her, contact the Iowa Missing Person Information Clearinghouse at 800-346-5507. You can also contact Sergeant Derek Cornwell with the Des Moines Police Department at 515-283-4811 with the case number 1997-57018. Marvin's case was another one that was requested quite a bit when you all asked for cases. I've seen it covered before, but it never hurts to talk about it again. It begins on October 30th, 1982. Marvin and his wife Ethel had spent their night handing out candy to trick-or-treaters in Fort Dodge when someone covered by a pillowcase with holes cut out for eyes came to their door. The person said, Trick-or-treat, give me your money, or I'll shoot. The couple assumed it was a joke, thinking maybe it was their granddaughter, Teresa Trueblood, who'd left the house only minutes before. Unfortunately, it was not a joke. The person under the pillowcase made their way inside, and when the couple turned to their back, he held them at gunpoint, telling them to take them to the safe downstairs, a safe only a few family members knew about. Marvin, who was a World War II veteran, went along with this, but when the two made it back to the kitchen, Marvin refused to answer to the person, still not totally convinced that this wasn't a prank. Marvin reached for the gun, and the person fired a bullet into Marvin's neck. It's reported the person dropped the pillowcase and ran from the house only moments later. Marvin would succumb to his injuries a short time later. Perhaps the hardest part about this case is that the family firmly believes they know who took Marvin's life. It was an acquaintance of the family, someone who hasn't been named. Ethel was able to give a description of the shooter saying that they were about 5 feet 8 inches tall, had blonde hair and blue eyes, and was somewhere between 16 and 20 years old. Police have even said this person is their prime suspect, however, there is not enough evidence to arrest them. The pillowcase was tested for DNA in 2010, but there wasn't enough to make a definitive match. If you have any information on this case that you believe can help police, do not hesitate to report it to the correct authorities. You can contact the Iowa Division of Criminal Investigation at 515-725-6010. You can also contact the Fort Dodge Police Department at 515-573-573. One four two six. I just want to give a quick thank you to everyone who took the time to watch this video and listen to these cases. It's always great to uh, to see everyone interacting in the comments and theorizing and things like that. And remember, if you do have any bit of information, even if it seems small, please do not hesitate to report it. And just as a PSA. Do not email me with information. I can't really do anything about it. Um, I can pass it off to the police, but that's about it. I'm not a police officer. Please do not email me with information. Just go to the police. Uh, Anyway, (laughs) thank you again, everyone, for 
sticking with me uh, this past week or so that I've been taking a break. I, I really needed it, and I felt like it was important, so I did it. Um, anyway, thanks for sticking around. Thanks for watching this video. Thank you to all of my channel members and my $10 patrons. Everyone you see on screen is supporting the channel monthly, and if you want to be a part of that group, head down and click the join button or head over to my Patreon and just pledge a dollar a month. You'll get videos soon, sooner than everyone else, and you get access to scripts if you pledge $3 a month, things like that. Some really, really cool perks over there. So thank you again, everyone, for watching, and as always, take care of yourself, take care of each other, and stay safe out there.